0: Welcome to episode 158 of the Love That Album podcast. My name is Maurice Bistinsky. We're proudly part of the Pantheon Podcast Network of Music Discussion Podcasts. Thanks so much for joining us. If this is your first time, welcome on board. Hope that you enjoy the discussion that we're about to have. If you're a returning listener, thank you very much for coming back. I hope you've enjoyed previously what you've heard. So this time around, I have an interview. I'm speaking to two gentlemen. They're part of the band John Kennedy's 68 Comeback Special. One of them is the aforementioned john kennedy who is the guitarist and songwriter for the band and the drummer peter timmerman also joins us john kennedy is an artist that i've come to quite late i've only sort of really been into his music for about the last five or six years or so but he's been around and recording and writing songs since the early 80s part of the sydney independence scene and that's actually quite important as far as this discussion is concerned he originally started out in brisbane grew up in brisbane emigrated from liverpool when he was about 10 years old i think and then escaped from Brisbane, and he uses that word escape, so I apologise to any Brisbaneites who might be listening to the show, but he moved to Sydney in the early 80s and recorded some really fine records, went to live in Berlin for a few years in the 90s, but eventually came back to Australia, and has been basically he's been with this same group of musicians, more or less, since the early 2000s, I think. So he's gone and recorded a couple of albums in recent years. One's called Raining Treasure Australia. Australian Indie Gold Covers Volume 1. And the second one, which has only just been released, funnily enough, is called Raining Treasure More Australian Indie Gold Covers Volume 2. So a lot of songwriters, they love from time to time to put out albums of covers to basically sort of pay tribute to what influenced them in the first place, what made them the songwriters that they are. And this one's a particularly special one because there are other recordings out there where Australian artists have gone and paid tribute to Australian musicians of the past. What John and Band have gone and done here is they've particularly paid attention to a lot of Australian indie artists, so bands who were playing. Played heavily on Triple R or PBS radio stations here in Melbourne or Triple J nationally. In some cases they haven't really changed the arrangement that much uh, but even with subtle differences it certainly makes a lot of difference with modern recording techniques that they currently use and some of the older recordings sound a little bit thin but mostly a lot of these songs are done with completely different musical arrangements which puts a completely different spin on the lyrics. Certainly in my way of thinking done a lot for the better. Uh, there's a couple of songs on here where maybe the definition of India is a little bit stretched but John and band have really gone and done such a fantastic job it doesn't matter we speak about a lot of those songs here in this discussion so I'm not going to rant and rave anymore I'm just going to uh, let Joanne give you the contact details and straight after that we go into my conversation with John and Peter of John Kennedy's 68 comeback special at the end of the interview, please come back, see what I did there, and I'll be talking with what is going to be happening for episode 159 of Love That Album Podcast.
3: I got a dusty old pile of vinyl records
1: sitting on my floor. We hope you're enjoying the show. You can find previous episodes at LoveThatAlbumPodcast.blogspot. Dot com, or you can get it along with any of the other great music discussion shows at rock'n'rollarchaeology.com, all part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. To keep up to date, subscribe to the show via Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or your podcast app of choice. You can email Morris with feedback or album suggestions at rrkitchen at yahoo.com.au. Join the Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash love that album and start a music-related
2: discussion.
0: To many film fans, this is seen as a classic film quote. Louis? I think this
2: is the beginning of a
0: beautiful friendship. This one is too. You talking to me? Over at Sea Here, however, we're very fond of this one.
3: How many times do I have to tell you? No pizza for you, Joey.
0: Not to mention this one.
3: Grease is the best, man.
0: What makes us different to other film discussion podcasts? Tim, Bernie and I talk about films that are music-centric. Ours is the only podcast that has found the link between Hated, The Gigi Allen Story, Ishtar and Yellow Submarine. As well as Roundtable Film Talk, we also speak with directors of music films about their work. So if you love music and you love films, join us at See Here. That's S-E-E-H-E-A-R. Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Proudly part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Even Mozart likes the show. <laughs> episode 158 of love that album and I'm very excited because it's very rare that I get to speak to two members of the band but today is that day and I have sitting across a table that's the other thing we're not doing this on Skype how wonderful I'm sitting across a table John Kennedy and Peter Timmerman both of John Kennedy and the 68 Comeback Special welcome to uh, the show guys thank you Morris so congratulations on the latest album of covers that you've gone and put out, Rain and Treasure Volume 2. And I want to focus a lot of this episode on both of those volumes of covers. But I just sort of want to go back a little bit. I'm ashamed to say that I really only first sort of got into your music a few years ago when Scotty Thurling went and said, you've got to listen to this album, JFK, In A Midlife Crisis. Yeah. So I got to see you, Chance, play a fine show at the Incomment Hotel here in Melbourne. And I was reading up something about it, and you said, by your reckoning, the album linked your early days in Sydney. You've come down from Brisbane. And the album linked your early days in Sydney to today by telling the story of a middle-aged man who's looking back on the early days of him working around uh, the streets of Sydney. A, a failed um, independent musician <laughs> looking back from his
4: middle-aged life back to the glory days. Obviously, it's not autobiographical. No, of not. Not. You know, we are greatly successful. Hugely successful. <laughs> act. But but that was it. The songs for that album, J.K. and The Midlife Crisis, started coming together and they suggested a bit of a narrative. And so, with a bit of pushing and prodding, managed to get songs into a kind of a narrative arc, a loose narrative arc. And it, I think it does stand up pretty well in comparison to, say, um, Rick Wakeman's Journey to the Center of the Earth. Oh, we've know about that. Well, at least uh, a small album. <laughs> uh, so, uh, it was a kind of a fun idea. That's what we were promoting when we came down uh, in 2017 and played that show at the Inkerman Hotel.
0: So, some of the other songs that you've written in the past also not autobiographical in a um, biographical way like you know The Ghosts of Newtown and Brisbane 82 and King Street oh well yeah they're all biographical uh,
3: <laughs> uh,
4: yeah, uh, Pete and I were talking on the way down about a, a friend of ours who was a band member a guy called Paul Scott releases stuff under numerous different names broad comparison but he and I in our songwriting directions like I'm a Lennon and he's a McCartney I write from experience and Pete's observation was that Paul writes from observation yeah. He might write love songs, but you don't really know whether it's something he's actually engaged in or whether he's just an exercise of writing a, another great song. So uh, a lot of the stuff that I write and have written is comes from uh, first-hand experience. And then, of course, with poetic license added. I never was a truck driver in big country. I just want to put that out there. Okay. I've never driven a truck. Well, it's
3: a big, big country, but it's a small, small world. I've run right out of small towns trying to find another girl. I guess that I'll keep moving. I've got nothing else to do. But I live in hope
0: that someday i I'll be done. You left Brisbane. You were in the Cuban crisis at the time. You left uh, Brisbane for Sydney. And I do want to talk a little bit about Brisbane later on in reference to uh, one of the covers that you've done. But one question I really love to ask musicians who've been around for a while is what was the scene like? where you were so like okay so you are in Sydney the early 80s I mean I sort of remember as a punter all the venues that I went to here in Melbourne very healthy scene there have been a yeah. lot of venues that have closed down but a lot more have opened up Yeah. Uh, actually before we turned the mic on I was sort of bemoaning the fact that a lot of venues have closed down in, in St Kilda where you gents played yeah. last night mm-hmm. but I Just like both of your perspective, what was the Sydney scene like when you were starting to play in Sydney in the early 80s? It was vibrant, but strangely, you know, I've been
4: considering this through the course of uh, a number of discussions. The epicenter of the Sydney scene, the independent scene, was this grotty little pub called the Southern Cross Hotel. Which, and around that time when my band arrived from Brisbane in 1982 and into 1983, it changed its name to the Strawberry Hills Hotel. And that's where the Triffords started their career in Sydney. That's where the Hoodoo Gurus built their base. That's where the scientists started. And that's where my band, JFK and Cuban Prices, eventually got a gig and then a residency. Uh, and then we built our crowd from there. And it, it's,
1: it's a Shithole. It's a really awful place. Well, it's funny like that because one of the other large places, well, most significant places, was the Sandringham Hotel, same day. Corner of the pub, you were actually virtually standing on the bar as the lead singer, and yet it's so influential in terms of a, a, a venue.
4: That, yeah, you know, that's a strange thing because until I came back from overseas in the early 2000s, I'd never been in Sando. And people tell me it was a happening place. There was a sort of certain clink of bands that played at Zando like uh, Louis Tillett would play yeah.
1: regularly, Paris. Screen. Well, we played, we when I was in Widdish, we played there quite often. In the 80s? In the 80s, absolutely. Uh, yes. Well, you just weren't as successful as uh, Jack <laughs> and not That's, and that's probably what was, yeah.
4: we were playing the was, vendors, We were playing the big toilets. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that's, that's what it was. And then there was also a suburban scene, a hugely vibrant suburban scene. And yeah. you'd go and uh, as sort of middleweight independent acts, you would be supporting bands on the verge of being commercial acts yeah. um, that major booking agents were sending out to the suburbs and uh, but you know hundreds of kids would turn up to those venues beer barns yeah. and it, it wasn't for the angels or Chisel it was for uh, Dead Chisel cool. electric, pia- electric Pandas but then the, the inner city scene did grow I can't tell what the chronological order is but this Strawberry Hills Hotel was really the happening place later on not too much later but the Sydney Trade Union Club was a bigger club mm. over three floors and that became, that was a major venue for alternative music and then a little bit later on into the mid 80s Hopeton Hotel sort of right. took over from the um, Strawberry Hills Hotel. So um, it was just a situation where Everybody listened to 2 Triple J. That was the ABC station and that wasn't a national station, it was just a local Sydney station and a youth radio. They promoted local bands, they played local records and because it had a very strong reach across the whole of the Sydney area, if you got onto Triple J, you you would then have an audience. And so people would be in bands and other people Who weren't in bands would go and see their bands, see your friends' bands, you socialized through bands. If you weren't a musician, you might be a graphic artist, you'd be doing the cover art and posters for bands, or you got into video, or whatever. And it was, everybody was in that curriculum. Then there's the audience, <laughs> without whom we wouldn't be doing it. Incredibly vibrant. That, yeah. that was what Sydney was like when I got here in 82. So I met Pete a little bit later on, after JFK and the Cuban Crisis broke up in 84, and I started the first versions of Love Gone Wrong, and that's where Pete came in, and he was playing with, with other bands, probably at the
1: um, Southern Cross as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think before that, I was playing in a band called The Cheating Hearts, which was just a cover band, so I'm um, just like here and there, but... Yours was probably the most, the first significant band that I was. I'm presuming that the Sydney scene, in one way, was
0: similar to the Melbourne scene. Just the fact that you've gone and mentioned that you are playing in a cover band sort of reminds me of that period back in the '80s where uh, a lot of originals bands were complaining because there were tons of cover bands. I mean, maybe oh well, yeah. I guess the only tribute band I recall from the time was Beatniks sort of doing the Beatles yeah, thing, I but, think the, but there the, were yeah. plenty of top forty.
1: Yeah. Oh, that was common. I mean, that was common wherever you go. When I, I came from Wollongong and- If you're in a band in Wollongong or the Illawarra, you're in a cover band. There were no original bands down there, and so I think cover bands were widespread across Sydney. But the inner city scene was where you know original music sort of started to spring up. or probably always did spring up. So look, my cover band was simply ten friends who had an ambition to go to Tamworth and play at the Tamworth Festival. So we got together. There were also actors, sound engineers, and a few musicians as well. And uh, yeah, we just put it together and. That so, it wasn't sort of a typical cover band out there, and it was a co- more of a concept band, they yeah. were doing country yeah. western covers.
3: Yeah, yeah.
0: So it's interesting that on the uh, Midlife Crisis album, you've uh, bookended it with a pair of songs that are not only very Sydney-centric and reflect, you know, your life in the 80s, I'm guessing, uh, uh, from St. Peter's to King's Cross and Strawberry Hills Forever, but there are strong references to... Other songs, yeah. to two other songs. No, not Hey, St. Peter. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's my gag. Get off my jokes, man. <laughs> <laughs> Were those songs the impetus for you creating reigning treasure albums. I mean, they're all covers, but your reminiscences of that time in Sydney, did that make you sort of think, well, yes, maybe I ought to pursue the wider Australian independent music scene as a result of my reminiscence of those experiences? Uh, Exactly. Uh, The JFK and the midlife crisis concept album
4: from 2017 finishes with that song, strawberry Hills forever, which is referencing the strawberry Hills hotel. And uh, it's, with the character, the hero of the story, is looking back and he's thinking, "Well, I didn't make it, but at least I was part of making something." That's the the sort of nub of the uh, story, the silver lining to the story. And uh, th- that song does reference the Triffords and the scientists and another band called Love Rodeo that just fitted in with the lyrics. <laughs> they weren't they weren't that significant. But the Triffords and the scientists. And then not too long after that, I thought, "Well, we've referenced the bands." next logical step would be to do a cover a cover of some of those artists and the song list is pretty much already there in my seven inch vinyl record collection songs that i've loved and have kept those discs for i guess it's nearly 40 years now that just became a bit of a no-brainer that let's go and do that and the what i found surprising about it doing raining treasure volume one is that nobody has done it before oh you know it's like who would cover australian independent bands it turns out to be a concept that's pretty popular because you you're doing songs that are already, you know, you can't really call them hits. They might have, relatively speaking, they were hits. You know, they might have sold a 1,000 or 2,000 copies, nothing these days. But they were beloved to a core of people from that era. And they're still, the songs is still loved by those people. So you're already presenting songs that are loved. So it's a, it's a really uh, interesting dynamic that gets built up as you're playing stuff. And happily, today, nobody's ever come up to us about one of our cover versions says, you fucked up, one of my favorites. <laughs> (laughs) songs. (laughs) I love that song and you killed it. So that hasn't happened. Most people who've approached us say, well, wow, you know, really really enjoy it because we do Two approaches to our covers. One is either just to celebrate the original and really amp it up. And we are now 40 years older and we can actually play our instruments and we can make a record sound good. Uh, we're better than we were before. And we, uh, all those bands that started, including ourselves, couldn't really play very well at the start of our careers. Yeah. And nobody recorded songs well. They were all tinny, thin sound. Right. So one approach is just to do a great version of the original song in its original arrangement. And then the second approach to the songs. is find different ways into them and and we we mix and match those
0: things. I mean that was something that I was going to actually ask about I noticed that there were songs that will come across some specific examples I really want to get into that but yes I had noticed that there were uh, arrangements that went a long way from the original and to me arrangement is king but the songs that sounded very similar in arrangement I thought to myself well must be a celebration as you say of something that you love that maybe other people didn't know about So, hey you don't know this tune Go and search it out after you've enjoyed our original. And so, No one needs a Xerox copy, but even your ones that are pretty much similar sort of arrangement, there's enough that's different. I was going to come to it in a couple of minutes, but an example for me is your version of Easy Money, written by Pete Lawler for Weddings, Parties, Anything. Walked
3: into the gun shop, cause I heard they'd cash my check. I saw the rose Rifles. And a chill went up my neck because it was
0: the first time two thoughts I thought, wow, that's unusual. of a whole range of Mick Thomas songs and, you know, maybe a handful of Dave Steele songs. But you pick one of two songs that I'm aware of that Pete Lawler wrote for the group. That song is, uh, arrangement-wise, not terribly different Mm -hmm. for the most part, but I love the extension. You have a couple of false endings and you have these beautiful vocal harmonies. Very simple, though, that uh, uh, type of vocal harmonies at the end. And it just, for me, I I love the original, but this really, really enhances it.
3: one who won't admit to being dead Hopelessness turns some to God Some it just turns mad And some it turns to easy money Easy money Easy money
4: The song is on the album King Tide, and uh, I found that album when I was living in Hong Kong for a couple of years, living on an island off Hong Kong Island, a very sort of laid-back, un-Hong Kong-like place called Lama Island. It uh, has no roads, has no sort of vehicle traffic, just has paths through villages. And on uh, one particular Saturday morning, there was a marker by the beach, and I went along and checked out the second-hand CDs, and oh, it so was weddings parties and anything, and uh, they were friends back in the day. And I took it home, played the CD of King Tide, and it's chock full of great Mick Thomas songs as they all were and then halfway through there's this one like, that I like that I really like it and uh, it's always had in the back of my mind that I would uh, love to do a cover version of that I love the song but I also picked it with the intention that people would say huh Nick Thomas wrote 95% of the songs released his the anything because uh, he did and he did a lot of great songs there but it's perverse to try and find a gem amongst all the other diamonds yeah it's, it's for many reasons it's just it's a great song and it's great to celebrate Peter Lawler's uh, um, character and the you know, relatively small part he played, but uh, still a significant part.
0: Funnily enough, the only other Widows song that I know that's been covered, and I'm sure that there's mm-hmm. tons of people yeah. do, but the only other Weddows cover by a major act is Billy Bragg doing "Ship in the Harbor," which was one of the B sides on the Father's oh, Day right. single. So go figure. People all of the songwriting. Oh, I was
4: that, dro- that one of his as well? But yeah, 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 oh, yeah. fantastic. So, yeah, yeah. me and me and the Braggster, oh, lovely. <laughs> yeah, and uh, we had when we played uh Peter got up and sang it with us, uh, and that
0: was lovely. Just, yes. He's a beautiful guy. Mm.
1: It was really good, really good. Fantastic. The
0: title of these albums, Reigning Treasure, a celebration of Australian indie songs. So, how did you guys define what indie actually is? I know, I'm sure this is a question you're getting asked a lot. I mean, there are some songs which you think, okay, well, that fits the niche of being played on Triple J or down here, Triple R or PBS, and you have a handful of songs. Which, so sort I of think, yeah, really, that was played on Triple M. MMM. So it's not necessarily something about what radio station it was played. I want to come in a minute specifically to ask about. Am I ever going to see your face again? No, but, but I, please. <laughs> yeah. but how did you define indie for the purposes of these albums? The definition that we use
4: is able to be expanded to be whatever we wanted to be. We can justify any song that's on okay. that album. <laughs> And we've, we've got a lawyer that will come in and uh, <laughs> to, uh, to state, yeah. um, state our rights to, to do that. The first album, Raining Treasure Volume 1, I think it is all clearly songs that were released on independent labels. Raining Treasure Volume 2, we just went wider and we went
0: deeper at the same time, if you can do both things. Do you want to move on to that song? You, well, yeah, okay. So well, let's let's talk a bit about Am I Ever Gonna See A Face Again by The Angels.
3: Went down to Santa
0: The thing that I love about your arrangement, so for people who haven't heard that yet, and I'll be playing a snippet here, it's played as a beautiful country waltz. For the first time ever, I've really listened to the lyrics. Yeah. And it seems like something that you've done across several of these songs is you've gone and said, right, what is appropriate to these lyrics? I think I read somewhere where Doc Neeson actually wanted that song to be done in a slower tempo, not as much of a hard rock thing. And it sometimes makes me wonder whether bands are trapped by their image or what the fans want or what their raison d'etre for, you know, for actually yeah. being is. But you don't have to worry about that. You think, right, we're going to do this out away and for the first time I've discovered that this song is actually really a very melancholy yeah. lyric a song about you know failed romance or someone who's passed on and they're having these these memories I'm thinking this is how the song should have been done in the first place so was that something that you guys were thinking let's listen to the lyric and work accordingly Trams, cars and taxis like a waxworks
3: on the moon young girls past me, but none of them are you. Am I ever gonna see your face again? You said you've had enough. Am I ever gonna see
1: your
3: face again? I'm running out of luck.
1: Uh-huh. Lee Remick so we thought we'd try it again on um... right yes
4: <laughs> so the Angels you know we're old enough to if not have seen them at the start of their career they were a jug band from Adelaide called the Keystone Angels and we're aware Here. of this from our knowledge of Australian pop music history and then The song, Am I Ever Gonna See Your Face Again, was on their first album. It wasn't particularly a feature song from what what I know. It only became the monster that it is today after they became big with their second album, and they they then had this new template of hard pub rock, simple power chord songs. And then, Am I Ever Gonna See Your Face Again became the pub beer barn classic with the infamous chant response from the audience. (laughs) I was aware of the original recording and then kind of did a bit of research when this idea came up. And it's it's got a pretty bizarre little history because the first recording doesn't have that signature guitar riff. The first recording of it doesn't have that. Then it was recorded as a single with that. Uh, But then, quite new to to me, to to my understanding, is that it is a song. It's uh, the origins of which have been disputed. It is a copy of a status quo B-side. Oh, I had heard something. Further research, and uh, we did bump into Buzz Bistrup last year at a gig, and we just sort of this before we did the song, we were sort of chatting to him, so we're acquainted through social media. I did pitch to him, and say, Buzz, what is the story behind this? What, what's this cover? What's this status quo thing? So, you'll read all about it in my biography coming out next year. So,
3: <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we will,
4: uh, but that, there's a big story behind it. But the arrangement, uh, anything to add
1: to that? Not particularly. It's you know just one of the many treatments that we employ for doing such such song
4: Yeah. It, it's, it's, turn it on its head to present it in a light that, that people would be unfamiliar with that might I wouldn't say shock them but it might surprise them mm. and we knew we had to address the infamous chant mm. so then I wrote some lyrics for Phil our bass player to actually recite in between the, um, the chorus lines so we, we knew uh, we knew what we were doing Yes, um, figuring we couldn't just leave that <laughs> chant we had to acknowledge it yeah. uh, because it is part of Australia's you know pub rock legacy now but again we sort of turned it on his head and tried to add a few lyrics that tied in with the suggested theme of the song. Yep. It, it is, and it's just—it's a beautiful song and mm. it's a beautiful melody. Mm. But it's—it took on a life of its own as the angels got bigger and bigger, and the the, the chant started, and, and the, the whole story behind the chants an interesting thing as well. It just started a disco somewhere, and then took
0: on a life of its own. I'll discover this firsthand tonight when I see you guys play at the Post Office Hotel. But have the audiences behaved, or have they insisted? No, you can't sing this song without it doing the chant.
4: We had done this song a couple of years ago. We've got a number of songs that are played in this. Is it a 6-8 piece? 6-8 waltz time? I love it. I love the feel. I love the rhythm. And probably one song in every album uses that uh, signature. So I've got a song called uh, You Brought It All Back To Me, mm-hmm. which we have done live on numerous occasions. And at some point, it's uh, it about 10 years since Doc Neeson died. Mm-hmm. Eight? Within the last decade. Yeah. Um, one of the guys in our band at that time was a big fan. Mm-hmm. and maybe possibly a, you know acquaintance or a friend of Doc Neeson's and so what we did as a surprise to him was to take the song we were playing he brought it all back to me and then we morphed into mm-hmm. this waltz version of I Am Ever Gonna See Your Face Again and then we kept that in and played it occasionally we went up to the Blue Mountains once we were invited to go to something that the local radio uh, community station up there it's called the Bogan Fest <laughs> and uh, fuck they, uh, <laughs> that audience got into the uh, chant
3: oh. Am I ever going see your face again. No way! Get fucked! Fuck
4: off! <laughs> uh, so that was the really the only... Our own audience is just
0: simply too sophisticated to do that. Yeah. <laughs> and
4: respectful. They're, they're yeah. too sensitive, huh. they're too sophisticated. But
1: at
0: least they gave the chant in 6-8 time. Right? Uh,
4: they did. In that
0: particular occasion,
4: then we just uh, switched around to the full-on rock. Um, That's right. The rock yeah. version as well.
0: <laughs> That's yeah. Yeah. the only time we have, have done it in the faster angels style. So another song that's on these albums. But there's another good example of taking something that rocked a bit harder, but your arrangement seemed musically more sympathetic to the lyrics, was the Eastern Dark's Julie is a Junkie. <laughs> Julie
3: is a junkie, well I, I don't know why, Julie says she loves me, well that don't stop crying, no, I don't know why
0: your take on this it's a Ram- the original was a ramones like take, and you've sort of gone and taken once again a softer musical approach which really emphasized the tragedy behind the song given that you know you've said before that it was just what musically made more sense in your head rather than listening to the lyric and saying yeah this works better what were your thoughts with this song julie says she
3: loves me says she loves me but that don't stop me crying
4: it was pete's idea so, but i'll just say that um it, it was obvious to me that we sh- shouldn't go where the original was we shouldn't try and
1: copy it or do the same arrangement well i had one thing in mind which was to do it as kind of like a a bit of a 60s Motown kind of feel to it and in the same way there's like there's a sharp tempo change in the original just to take the tempo change out and just have a Motown come Beach Boys almost type version of it and so I brought that to the table and Phil our bass player said oh yeah that's that's a good idea I think we could work with that and John was like oh I'm kind of thinking I kind of think more Beatles I like go, yeah, something a bit more percussive and laid back. Oh, okay, let's give it a go. What, what and, was the song that I mentioned? And I Love Her, I think it was. And I Love Her. And, and he uh, her
4: everything. And Ringo's playing sort of his... I think on the podcast, note he's playing his hands on the... On the drums. On the yeah, drums. yeah, yeah, so,
1: yeah. yeah. Uh, like
4: the bomb. And I like,
1: Phil and I both agree that it's possibly the best song on the album. It's, wow. Yeah, it's that, uh, really good. Really good. I, I love the fact that hopefully it'll introduce a few people to Beast and
0: Dark or mm. they'll go out and get the Do The Pop yeah. compilation and then... Yeah. Hang on, what, what, what what's <laughs> this? Exactly. I thought it was a nice ballad. <laughs>
2: These Eastern Dark
4: fellas have, you know, rocked it up. <laughs> yeah.
1: I think the original is great song, for sure. Are there any
0: covers albums that you used as, I guess maybe not a template, but are there any other covers albums that you really, really loved? So, I mean, there are ones that, like a single artist, covering a single artist like John Hammond's take on Tom Waits' stuff called Wicked Grim. Yeah either
1: McCartney doing rock and roll tribute albums. There was the famous Carpenter's one, was If I Was a Carpenter? That came out a long, long time ago and that was just, I think that was actually indie artists covering Carpenter's songs. When I worked at the ABC I used to do radio shows on on local radio and I put based on one of those I put together an acoustic covers album which was quite broad and diverse so I've all personally always liked the concept of it but um, yeah, what about you?
4: Uh, I'm obviously aware of a plethora of covers. Done in all okay. different combinations, known artists doing un- known, lesser known songs, indie artists doing major artists' covers. But uh, I can answer the question simply, was this, this concept inspired by any other specific example? The answer is no. It's never, it's an interesting question. It hasn't been asked yeah. of me before. No, it just sort of took on a life of its own from the JFK and the midlife crisis. Yeah. Independent Australian artists, great songs. No, I don't think anyone else has done it. Let's, <laughs> let's do that. And so, it, you know, cheaply put in uh, Volume 1 on the front cover of the first one uh, which then suggests there would be a Volume 2. Oh, I probably should save this to the end but I'll ask will there be a Volume 3? There has to be a new album of originals before that. <laughs> that means <I> have to <laughs> write the next four songs. We did start two albums parallel at the end of 2020 what became Randy Treasure Volume 2 and a new album of original songs and because of the COVID shutdowns, lockdowns, start again. It was too much to try and keep the two projects running so we pivoted as as we all did in uh, COVID uh, and just focused on the covers because that was the easier vehicle to push. Uh, We did get four original songs recorded. Uh, We're about to follow up with the second four and then over the course of the next month I have to write the last four so by the end of the year I hope we'll have a new album recorded
0: and it should be released early next year. Nice. So coming back to these albums and these covers you said in the liner notes for the album on the first album okay.
4: this is good because I
0: wrote the liner notes the first and, uh, and he picked wrote Rowe. the <laughs> liner notes Indeed. in the second Indeed. so this will so he's responsible for anything he said <laughs> <laughs> this actually does go across liner notes for both albums because good. on the first one you said that you and were and then not. he said and then I said <laughs> you said you're not a Radio Birdman fan <laughs>
4: No, no. I,
0: mean, no, I, no, I, I think that was taken. I out of, was going to come back. I think,
4: was, I think I was taken out of context. No, it is a fact. <laughs> Coming from Brisbane, first of all, it meant I wasn't on the scene in the late 70s in Sydney when Birdman took off. Right. So I wasn't there. I didn't feel the energy of their live performance. Um, And as a musician and a a music fan, the thing that I value is lyrics, telling story, and melody. The musical accompaniment is to dress the song. The drums and bass are the structure on which the song is built, the recorded song, but the to me, is the melody and the lyrics. And Radio Birdman don't do much melody, and they don't do great lyrics, in my mm. humble opinion. I did look at some of the songs for Raining Church* Volume One. I thought it'd be an interesting challenge, and I simply could not find a song apart from *Alone* by Stephen Danner, oh, yeah. uh, which uh, was, was good fun. That's the standout track for me and Thank you for everybody. But then that's already got a cover within the, the song itself, so covering the cover of the cover. So I passed on that one, and couldn't find any other song that I would love enough to want to sing. Um, so that's where it was and, and second time around for volume two Phil Hall said I've got one for you John I think we can work with this one it's a pretty simple So most of it's just one chord in fact most of it's just one note um, so if you, if you play with it Phil's been in the band for about four years so he knows how I work and I'm, I'm not a technical musician at all but you know I'm quite confident in sort of pushing and pulling things around uh, so you know changing the melody a little bit adding a few chords and then to top it off uh, Murray Cook came up with the um, one once again. Is it Pipeline mm-hmm. that we... Yeah, is on right. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, Surf yeah. song in there so the, which, which one of the surf classics it is I can never remember the title. So Pipeline we yeah. threw in there as a uh, reference and homage to uh, the uh, theme from Hawaii Five-0 on the song Aloha, Stephen Dano. Hand of
3: Lawrence on us now The
0: So it was Hand of Law that you covered Oh, That's Hand of Law On volume two But the first time around The compromise was that you did Song, When the Burden oh, Fly yeah By oh, The Fun yeah. Things Which the original sounds It goes beyond tribute It sounds oh, like you're really trying to be Radio I, I think I heard maybe one cut On the Do the Pop yeah. compilation But it wasn't this one From The Fun Things Yeah when the there no doubt. gonna take control And wipe
3: you out When the firm and fly, the skies are black Get ready for a boot-scale attack
4: I knew the song. I didn't know it intimately, but uh, I knew because they're from Brisbane. Yeah. Brad Shepard and Murray Shepherd formed this band when they were really sort of quite young, uh, mid-teens, maybe 15, 16, 17. And they were obviously totally in love with the, the whole Detroit sound and Birdman in particular. That was a divide in Brisbane. Brisbane in the late 70s, early 80s wasn't a huge scene, but there was a contingent of musicians who were strong enough to wear leather trousers in <laughs> Brisbane in comments. the summer <laughs> and then be inside a venue in a summer's night when it was like it might be 30 degrees outside at night and be 40 degrees on stage and they were there in their leather trousers so uh, full respect to them but uh, I wasn't one of them so, so uh, yeah I never met any of those guys the uh, 31st, Ron Pino, Brett Myers the, the Shepherd Brothers we just our path didn't cross because we didn't play in the same venues right. uh, much
3: for direct assault, prepare to say goodbye. Going be in all our pleas when the Budman fly
4: So uh yeah that was When the Birdman Fly from Raining Treasure Volume 1 by The Fun Things, we did get round to doing Radio Birdman cover on Raining Treasure Volume 2 with the song Hand of Law. The the happy ending, well, that that is a happy ending in itself, but then the after, the story that flows on from that is that it's a little bit complicated. We did a duet with Julie Moston, who used to be in a band called Flaming Hands. We covered a song called Uh, Face With No Name, which is from a band called The Passengers, and it's...
3: The
1: the
4: common link (laughs) link between those two is that Jeff Sullivan was the guitarist in those two bands, and he wrote songs for those two bands. So... No, the connections keep on coming. Phil Hall, our bass player, also plays sax. And when uh, Flaming Hands reformed about three years ago, he played sax with them in their live uh, lineup. And when I wanted to do this song, Face With No Name, knowing that it was by The Passengers and had some other female singer on it, uh, I think it's Angie Pepper, Pepper, I said, well, we'll play with people's minds. Phil, do you think Julie Moisten would come and duet with us? And so we'll be getting a female singer from that era, which is who's related to those bands or that the Songwriter, but she was in another band, and we'll get her to sing on this song. So just try and cause so a f- bit of confusion. Um, so it all worked out really well, and we got the, a great uh, duet with the song A Face With No Name. She comes again. and we were launching our album in Sydney, we got Julie to come down from where she lives in Coffs Harbour. And we got her to come with, uh, well, we didn't get her to come. Her, her partner is Warwick Gilbert, the bass player from Radio Birdman. So he was coming down as well. So I said, Warwick, would you be interested in playing on our song, uh, on our Radio Birdman cover? So he got up and played bass with us live. So if anybody says anything about Radio Birdman, I don't want to hear a bad word said about them. Me and Radio Birdman, you Listeners out there can't see, but my fingers are that (laughs) closely crossed. You cannot get a cigarette paper between them. You come to the
0: right place. I'm,
1: I'm not. I'm not a Birdman fan either. But.
0: What the hell? Get out of his band. Yeah.
3: <laughs> hey, you,
1: need, you need a new drummer. <laughs> yeah. yeah no, just, as long as you're into Birdman, that's the main thing. <laughs> well, there were a couple of songs that I did like, and we fielded them for the first album, but they were rejected as, ah, uh, sounds like too much like the Doors. <laughs> 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 what was okay. it? Uh, uh, Man with golden helmet. Uh, Man with golden helmet. Uh, into the abyss. Uh, was it drinks water from the faucet? Yeah, yeah. And
0: like nobody in Australia know,
1: says uh, faucet. So I'm not going to sing that. Dennis technically in Australia
4: well that's right he must have,
1: <laughs> did he write the lyric
4: because it's just it's an odd using the, the probably he did I, I remember yeah. I lived in Berlin for a while and there was a band there doing sort of Americana type stuff in a kind of weird German kind of way and I listened to the test pressing of one of their albums and they said something like we're out on the range American cliches where the wild dingoes call and I'm like, mate that's just fucking wrong <laughs> <laughs> they, like I know my Americana and there are no dingoes in America he's just sort of grabbed a wild dog reference and jammed it in there it's like you know that's just really <laughs> really <laughs> bad really <laughs> wrong if you want to you know go somewhere just do your research
3: it's almost it by the sea a
0: Just been talking about Brisbane before so probably now is as good a time as any to talk about uh, a cover from volume one and Rest in peace, Chris Bailey, who we only recently lost. But you did a mashup of Brisbane Security City uh, with a nod to Electrical Storm by Ed Cooper. So you know the original song being from the Saints is a very angry sounding song. Uh, I tend to think your arrangement sounds it, it despite not being that drastically different, it sounds more despondent, more sad than angry. And given when it was written in the height of the Joe bianca Peterson era, I want to know from your perspective either personally or as a working musician, what do you recall? How terrible was it in the J.B. Oka-Peterson era as you were growing up? I grew up uh, in my
4: teenage years through the 70s, through that, that whole period as a, a youth, you know, I was living out in the suburbs, bordering on the, the bush and just running wild. Uh, but as soon as you turn 16, 17, you get a car, you realise there's other stuff happening and you want to get out of your suburban home and suburban uh, life. I started studying architecture at university uh, after high school and I I'll keep this relatively brief but I didn't have much time to I made time because I just was always passionate about music I made time to go and see bands all the time and I had a garage band progressively over the late teenage years but I would be working four days a week so lowly paid that I had to have a second job and then I had to do my university work and then you know have a relationship with a girlfriend like I didn't, really didn't have time I wasn't a full-time student at university that was out to going to demonstrate. I was aware of everything that was going on, and it was pretty oppressive. And it was, as we know, uh, it was pretty obvious then, but it all came out in the Fitzgerald Inquiry. It was incredibly corrupt as well. So you, you just have shit going on. You know, there'd, there'd be buildings that would be getting knocked down and but for no great reason, except the whoever the developer was wanted to get rid of a historic or a heritage building. And so at midnight, the Dean brothers, the demolition team, would were happy to come in and knock your building down for you. And then they'd just leave a sort of vacant lot as a car park for years. Just They just needed to get rid of the building in case, you know, it got a Uh, heritage order uh, on it. And then when punk came around the political atmosphere was so oppressive that Aboriginal groups Gays and lesbians, students, hippies, punks, trade unionists, anyone that was in a sort of minority that was out of favour with the uh, conservative government, sort of, you had to band together to, you know, to have some, some sort of solidarity, some safety in numbers. Uh, but when punk came through, in you know, a little bit later in, in Brisbane, as everything was there, sort of 78, 79, when things sort of started to, you know, getting a little bit more vibrant in its small alternative indie music scene. If you went into town with your short hair, short hair? Would do it and a colourful shirt you know you, you'd try and dress to, dress to impress with a bright uh, Hawaiian shirt or something crazy well as I said short hair and a thin tie uh, the police would follow you in their car you know you'd be walking down the main street and they'd be in their car you know just ready you know trying to provoke some action you know it was just it was ridiculous but it was that's how bad it was and you know people who are really into the punk lifestyle they would just be in the, the watch house on a regular basis um, punk gigs which initially were, certainly weren't welcomed in the inner city, people would just hire community halls in the suburbs, and then there'd be a riot, and <laughs> the riot police would be called to shut it down. Uh, it was full on, really, really full on. Sounds that you know, it was
0: obvious that a band like the Saints would form in Brisbane. Well, it's in- interesting, because it, I guess they formed against
4: the reaction. You know, If punk was all about uh, a reaction against boredom and no future, well, there's... there's Brisbane was like that, except, and it was hot. That, that was the other thing. And that's what that song, Brisbane Security City, is about. A lot of it is, uh, a million people laying low with mangoes ripe, no need to grow I, don't, I can't recall the exact lyric off the top of my head. Um, but it's just about this oppressive heat. Thirteen hot nights in a row is one of the lines. And that's, that's what it was like. You just, guys wanted to get out. Or, you know, there's no air conditioners back in the day. Um, it's just a really hot, oppressive place, climatically and politically.
3: Nights in a row The cops drive past But they move slow A million people staying low With mangoes ripe, right, Who needs to grow
4: so you'd have to make your own fun
0: and, uh, and that sort of independent music did blossom because there was nothing else to do. It would make an interesting set to listen to. There's this tradition, I guess, of uh, some Australian artists doing songs that will bring a negative connotation about that city. I mean, in that case, because of everything that you've described there, you know, yeah, the the Brisbane by the Saints. One of the other songs that you cover on the album is the Zimmerman's Don't Go to Sydney, which we've already sort of gone and discussed that you've always had that amusement that Melbourne and Sydney had this ongoing rivalry. Paul Kelly all the king's horses, all the king's men Adelaide. could not drag me back to Adelaide and Stars, great country rock band from yeah. the 70s great jive town about Adelaide. I guess this is sort of coming back to your album about you know, with the, the midlife crisis and here you've gone and done ostensibly a whole album but you know the songs that we specifically referred to from St Peter's to King's Cross and Strawberry Hills Forever where it's, it's ostensibly very positive. You have this beautiful outlook on you know, the recollection of a great time in, in Sydney. In the back catalogue of songs, I have written a number of songs about Brisbane and it just became a sort
4: of growing number. And it wasn't until I had you know, sort of two or three under my belt that I realised the common theme about these songs is that they were all about leaving Brisbane. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and so I've created my own subgenre of songs, not, not songs about Brisbane, songs about leaving Brisbane. And then I also covered, going back even earlier into Australian pop rock history, Johnny Chester had a song called Glory Glory, uh, the subtitle being I'll, I'll Be Back to See the Story Bridge. And uh, we covered that on one of our earlier albums. Hmm. Uh, yeah, left Brisbane, didn't look back. People who live there now or people who go and visit say, it's it's, it's changed a lot. Well, it hasn't changed enough. <laughs> 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 they haven't changed the climate, so I won't be going back there. Um, and, hmm. yeah, when I moved to, to Sydney, it just it was like, uh, wow, this is what a big city's like. And then when we started touring to Melbourne and you start hearing this Sydney to Melbourne rivalry, it's like, give me a fucking break. <laughs> like, if, if, you, if you want to find out what it's a city that's you know you've got something to complain about go to Brisbane go to Adelaide go to Perth because that's where all these bands came from mm. they created music in a vacuum because there was no music industry in these places no audience that wanted to see them they were just in their garages or their parents garages and distilling their influences over a period of years and then finally if, if they had the determination to do something in music you had to move and you moved to Melbourne or Sydney and uh, suddenly like people wow how did you come up with that song with that sound is incredible. We're like, eh? that's just what we do. Yeah, the whole Sydney Melbourne rivalry is a bit laughable. I, I love both places, and you know, I, I play up my animosity towards Brisbane. Uh, but <laughs> still have family there, still have friends there, and uh, happily go back to visit. So um, it, it's not as serious as it? Uh, it might sound.
0: There's no gents in blue uniforms and waiting for me
3: rippling muscles at the
0: them <laughs>
2: Kennedy, you're back again, <laughs> eh? Kent? We've been waiting for you, mate.
0: Mm-hmm. So, the other Brisbane band that I guess you had to cover, and you've already sort of gone and mentioned them by now, is uh, The Go Betweens picking their song Lee Remick.
3: She was in the omen with Gregory Peck. She got killed. But what the heck? Her eyes are like gems.
0: There was sort of like a, there should be an Australian tradition of uh, songwriters doing songs about Hollywood actresses because I know that Chuck Jenkins of the Ice Cream Hands did a beautiful song called Shelley Winters. I, I, don't, I don't know enough about Charles. Uh, I, I should look into you his uh, cover. Cover an Ice Cream Hands song in the next, on the next volume.
4: Uh, well, when you say about volume three, we'll just digress. The only only thought I've had on, on how we could possibly do another version and make it interesting would be to do an all-woman cover. Um, I'll be into that. Um, so, all-Australian women and we'll see where that takes us. Maybe 90s. Um, yeah, possibly. i uh, would just see me doing Christianity and I'll have my yeah. school girl uniform on. Boys in
1: Town. Yeah. <laughs> um, Science um, Fiction. Africa. That's my pick. Oh, oh, I know. It's, it's a pleasure pain. Uh, on, and pain. You what's the one that I touched. I do? Is? A touch I a touch, a touch That's <laughs> the one I want to do. <laughs> that's a good one too. Don't do that as a belt. <laughs> that's a scoop. Oh, that's an exclusive. Victoria. Oh, that could. Yeah. Sydney, yeah. Melbourne. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, so uh, we're talking about Lee Remick. Lee Remick. So once again, that's another song that... When I hear your version, the original Go-Betweens version, you were talking about earlier on about bands who, when they started, didn't necessarily have a complete mastery of their instruments. And the original Go-Betweens version, it's charming, but it is the sound of a band which maybe are not necessarily that confident. And there's something romantic about your version, very, very dreamy. When I hear you say, I love Lee Remick, she's a darling, I believe it. Mm. Um, I listen to their version, it almost, it, it, once again, it's a charming song, but it almost sounds like mistake. I don't know. No, for sure, but how do you approach that one? She comes to my
3: she's very beautiful. I come from Brisbane and I'm quite plain. She's from the mountains, close to heaven, clouds on her shoes, stars on her chest, and I, I
4: Well, I'll uh, uh, give you the, the whole background if you want to ramble. Here's here's some <laughs> ramble. Go for
3: it. Uh, <laughs> this story—it's oh, retold,
4: but it is—it's yeah. uh, critical to my musical development. So, in the mid '70s, towards the late '70s, I had garage bands with mainly with a guy called uh, James Patterson, who was a school friend, and he and I eventually went on at the end of the '70s, oh, no, in 1980, I think, to form J.F.K. And Cuban Crisis. In one of our garage band sessions on a Saturday afternoon in my parents' garage. We used to record into a stereo cassette deck and we were doing covers and uh you know, and it's pretty sort of crazy, weird range of songs we'd be working on. And we'd do some originals, but uh either the covers or the originals might be trying to sound like Genesis or you know, or at best free. We touched on the faces, we did Beatles cover two of us and Glass Onion we did as well yeah. so nothing that's, that's sort of going to say changed the world on this particular day another guy called Wayne was invited in and he brought in a couple of his songs that night I set off to go to a, a pub in town that was where a venue where local community station 4 Z promoted its live gigs and by this stage 7, eight, 8 seventy nine, interstate acts were coming through but even the Stranglers played at this inner city pub right. and in fact it was the beer garden of the pub Mm. and the back of the beer and it had an open roof so it was just like really basic stuff and I went along this night it was was going to be pre-Ice House Flowers and it was pre-Flowers originals they were doing Roxy Music David Bowie Iggy Pop covers Mm, it didn't really matter who was on if you're a music fan and you're listening to Portugal Z you'd turn up at these venues where uh, where the gigs have been promoted anyway I was there and by coincidence this guy Wayne who I'd done some recording with with my garage band turned up at the same gig and we stayed together and uh, we were them watching the support act and it was just these four guys who was like really couldn't play the instruments and they couldn't sing very well but gee they had melodies and they had hooks and they had ideas and I yeah I really liked it and um, that band turned out to be the go-betweens I said to Wayne you know that song of yours that we did today that would probably suit these guys we should you know not that I was rushing up and going and talking to bands every time but like it was an inspiration what they're doing your song would probably suit And let's go and talk to them and maybe you offer them your song so off we went uh, Got up, they got off stage and we went up and talked to them oh yeah we got this song with my friend and we just recorded it and it'd be really you know suitable for you and uh, it must have been Robert Forster that was doing talking and, oh, oh yeah uh, uh, look um, uh, come round to our place on uh, on Monday on Monday morning uh, no Monday Monday evening and, uh, yeah, don't come before 7.30 because yeah, we're watching the Mary Tyler Moore show on TV so don't come then <laughs> Uh, but at 7.30, come around and bring the song. My friend took his cassette of the, our recording of the song. It never came to anything but the whole episode uh, was an inspiration for me because I could see you didn't have to play guitar like Richie Blackmore you didn't have to be able to sing like Robert Plant or John Anderson to be able to be in a band mm-hmm. to write your own stuff you needed three chords a narrative and a melody that's that's it and, and it was like if they can do it so can I and, and pretty much it's just like my version of people that saw the sex pistols wow I'm going to form a band too now I'm going to write my own songs and they're not going to be trying to copy free or Genesis and uh I did write a song inspired by Lee Remick and Fraud. It came out on an early recording by that band JFK and the Cuban Crisis. It's a song called Juliet Jones.
3: Mm-hmm. Juliet, I feel everything. Juliet, but she don't look my way. Oh, oh, oh Juliet Jones.
4: When I started my architectural career as a student working in an architectural office, for the first half an hour of each day in this small office, the guys, and it was all guys, and the older guys, and they were all about, what, well, like 21, 22, <laughs> they would read the curry Mail, the, the morning broadsheet newspaper. And they would also look at the back, the comic strips on the back page. And one that they would discuss was this Adventures of Julie Jones, which is like a romance soap opera American comic strip. Thought, That's pretty weird. And I sort of, you know, got into it a little bit myself. Pretty weird these Australians. Guys, young guys, talking, discussing the adventures of Julia Jones, and I thought if I write a song about her and all the people that are reading this comic strip around the world buy my song. It'll be a rooney. So I did. It. We recorded it. And then, and then later, when I was started to travel the world, I realized the only newspaper in the world that publishes this comic strip
1: was the Korean career management.
4: <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's that was my inspiration. That, that certainly opened a whole new pathway for me to be able to be honest, to be quirky, and to be able to write simple songs with melodies and not be afraid to keep it simple. Jackie <laughs> O. There's uh, no one. Jackie O. Uh, well, that, that was again the, the first band JFK and the Cuban Crisis was actually named by this guy that had formed the band with uh, James Patterson so he named the band and he put me and my initials in the, in the band name and he said "Oh well, yeah we could call it JFK and the Bay of Pigs Fiasco <laughs> but, you know if, if you have sort of people going to going to see, see us play and then the next day they say did you see the fiasco last night <laughs> uh, yeah. um, the crisis was bad enough uh, and so then he wrote a song again playing on my name uh, the Ballad of Jackie O. I, I did a little bit of the co write on the lyrics, but um, uh, that was his. It's got more than uh, more than three it chords. chords <laughs>
3: that
1: was his song. Good song. Yeah. Really good.
0: Nothing about uh, until your album. Then went list of the original was the song stuck on you by like, is it Sardine V or Sardine Five? We don't know. Okay, we'll go Phil knows. Nice. We'll go with V and. Finding out that this band had Ian Ryland, guitarist for Rose Tattoo and mm. X, I thought, this sounds like the most un-Ian Ryland-like song I have ever heard. Well, maybe not the most, but it, it'd be... So you yeah.
4: have gone. but you've listened to the original. Yes, song. I have. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: absolutely. What I did was I went and made like a, a YouTube playlist ah, of
1: all absolutely the everything. Can you, at-
4: can you send me that, please? Yeah, I send you the link, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. I,
1: mean, I think Sardine were the wings to uh, Ian Ryland's Beatles days with um, Rose Tattoo. Ian and his wife Stephanie yeah, um, formed Sardine V. It was a, a much more, uh, I don't know what would you call it, laid back, it wasn't sort of heavy blues, rock and roll type of band that Ian was used to playing, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Phil was actually in that band. I've
3: been hearing round the town
4: Yeah, you know, I, I did check some of these Australian indie compilations, Do the Pops and Tales from the Australian Underground, mm. and uh, I've got to say that I knew of Siding V, I probably did play it on Countdown, but there's a song, was it Egypt? Sudan. Sudan, thank you, close. Uh, Sudan, I'd heard that and liked it, and that was with his, with his wife singing like. Yeah, it.
1: Stephanie singing and playing keyboard.
4: Uh, so I knew of them, and, but I'd never heard Stuck on You until I came across one of these the compilation albums, and I liked it, and I thought, that's interesting. And then around the about this time, Phil Hall joined our band and he had played inside in B. He was the bass, bass player inside in B. So I thought, well, that's good enough, isn't that That cements the decision to do a cover version of it. And then I listened to it again closely and it's only got one verse, which is repeated. <laughs> and I said to Phil, mm, yeah, it's great, but there's only one verse. He said, oh, well, there's a story behind that. They used to be on this scene in the late 70s, early 80s when the sunny Boys were happening. Right. And... Phil says when they used to cross paths in cafes in King's Cross, Jeremy Oxley would take the piss out of uh, Sardine's song. And so but now I have to actually think of the lyric of the song. I've been here around the town I and mean, you're getting around whether it's right or whether it's true I'm stuck here I'm stuck on you and Jeremy actually used to shout after Ian Rylan, I'm, I'm still here and I'm, I'm, and I'm barmy and I'm stuck in the Salvation Army and uh, so then we incorporated that into our version of the song so That's it's cool. an unofficial second verse that uh, Phil right. uh, had insight into Listening to that
0: song nowadays it's the sort of song which I don't think I would have cared for when it came out I was strictly speaking growing up, meat and potatoes, guitar, bass, yeah. drums. Now I'm sort of listening to this and thinking it's hypnotic. I, I just mm. absolutely love it. And I think what a great choice. Yeah. For, for well,
4: uh, I listened to it as I said. I'd never heard it before until I came across it on some of these compilations. Yeah. I, I like it. Yeah. How does the
1: collectors did a good version of it? Not oh, that no. long after, probably mid eighties. I have to search that one. Yeah. It's you do good. very good. Is it only a live version that came out on something, or is it? No, a, a, I think it's a, a, a studio yeah, recording. Studio yeah, recording. Because
4: really awesome. I did. Uh, uh, you have a bit of a listen because i think they put in a, a different a, like a, a lyric in the middle eight or so they right. trade a little they add a little bit to it because maybe they'd never heard the original song they just i think the story is they'd only heard it in the sound check right and then they did their cover version of it and then added a bit right so, and that's good you know yes. just adding really stuff they, we also did a cover version of the uh hard on girl in the sweater yes <laughs> Again, it's a fun song, and I thought it would be, again, something that would draw attention. Wow, that's covering a hard-on song. Whoa,
3: whoa, whoa.
4: Uh, when I listened to it, it's only got one verse and one chorus. As I, I got in touch with them and said, uh, do you mind if I write <laughs> some more lyrics to it? Sure! <laughs> <laughs> a bit later on, we did have uh, Blackie, the, the songwriter, the guitarist from the Hard Ons, he came and uh, did a, uh, an opening spot when we launched that album, and he said to me, you know what, when I heard your version, I heard those lyrics, and I couldn't actually remember writing them. I thought, that, that's pretty good. Uh, that, those lyrics <laughs> that I wrote are, are, are yeah, actually pretty, pretty good. And then I realised, well, oh, I didn't write them, <laughs> so that's an, a lovely little backstory to that. Yeah. But uh, uh, yeah. are they
0: doing it your way nowadays
4: I, I'm not sure. I don't know. Tim Rogers is now the singer with right, uh, yeah. uh, the Hard Ons, and I don't know what they're doing. I haven't seen them yet. The album's really good.
1: Uh, Again, okay. <laughs> I'll
4: have to check it out. No, I, I haven't heard them do our version of Girl in the Sweater yet. Mm. But when they do, I'll be after my royalties for mm. the songwriting at yeah. the time. <laughs>
0: The Apartments. Now, I'm embarrassed to say I came to The Apartments quite late. Mm. But I was introduced to their album uh, No Song, No Spell, No Magical. And the latest one, I think, In and Out of the Light, Mm. which is just
4: heartbreakingly
0: beautiful. These intricate arrangements. So I had not heard their song Refugee, which is considerably Mm. earlier. And then I listened to their version and thought, wow, it's just this sunshine power pop. Thing and then I listen to the song again from your side, uh-huh. from your side, and think, "Oh, this is another sad song, you know, yeah. which is seems to be what he does, and he does so well." The
3: showbags are done, and the rappers are crumbling torn, but you're the one in the islands. Uh, the
4: interesting thing to note here is that he didn't like this song. And it, it's a little bit like a Peter Lawler of Wedding As anything wrong and again. I went back to the original EP from uh, when this band was formed in Brisbane. They were on the same label as the go the Able label. And in fact, that band that I saw at the Queen's Hotel, the 4 his band, Peter Walsh was in the go at that period of time. which was very short. I didn't know who he was at the time, but not too long after that, he formed his band, The Apartments. They didn't name any covers. Hats off to Larry is one that I remember kind of crazy weird pop covers. and Then they did their EP, and a guy called Michael O'Connell, the second guitarist and singer in the band. This is a just—it was a very short song that was, you know, squeezed into the B-side of their EP. And again, maybe just uh, to just to um, be a little bit irritating, I um, didn't uh, did an apartment song, but didn't do a Peter Milton Walsh song. Oh, I, I uh, chose to do. And in the early days of uh, Love Gone Wrong, when Peter and I were playing, we used to do that song live um, mm. I just knew it and
1: we, we already
4: I think, oh, yeah. I think you suggested it for this um, covers
1: album mm. because it was, you know one, one song is to learn from me
4: yeah, yeah. well uh, <laughs> and Pete was in the band for about five minutes in um, 1984 <laughs> and 15 months I think still can't figure out quite what went wrong apart from the love and then came back in again about 20 years ago so we've been playing together a long time so it was it was a nice suggestion that sort of brought our shared musical history in our live and back mm. into focus I keep a
3: photograph against my heart
0: One of them, I guess I have to, is... Shivers The Boys ah. Next Door and once again your arrangement damn you guys the original version of Shivers if you don't pay attention you think oh it's this tragic goth song and you know, opening up with I've, I've been, been contemplating. contemplating suicide and then you guys turn it with a banjo <laughs> into a rollicking little country and western song and you think oh this is Blackley comic this is just about a teenager who's bored." yeah and, and Vanity
4: uh, my baby's so vain she thinks she's a mirror <laughs>
3: Contemplating suicide But it really doesn't suit my style So I think I'll just act bored instead Contain the blood I would have shed
4: uh, again, uh, we touched on before the fact that I, I love waltz times, the six eights, and on two of the songs from the Rain and Treasure collections, we've gone to that. That's one of our go-to rhythms, and you can do any song in a waltz time, and you can pretty much do any song in a country style. It's pretty easy, and it just comes to me totally natural, because that's, that's, that is my, one of the, Uh, main strands of my musical genes. It comes from pop music with the country flavor. Again, you know, it's a great song, but how do you find your way into that without just doing a carbon copy of it? And how do you deal with the then inner city melbourne gothic st kilda junkie fans well sadly most of them are dead But mm-hmm. you know, so the, the people that are left how do you sort of deal with their expectations well what, how you deal with them is you piss them off as much as you can <laughs> and uh, you try and irritate people with it and uh, I knew you could do a great country version of it we know a banjo player that we have used uh, on a, yeah. a previous track he's moved out of town out of sydney down to the south coast of new south wales but we just sent him the files, and, and i said put some banjo on it and he came back with fantastic i think. Like three layers That's of banjos, banjos going on there, and yeah, then also managed to squeeze in a reference to uh, is it, uh what's the the Who song? Um,
1: Barbara Riley, it's a teenage was, way,
0: teenage so so yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that oh, that was, was a, your idea, yeah. genius people,
1: <laughs> genius, <laughs> but you know, I mean, that kind of song it's very common in the country genre. I think that I guess that kind of the light treatment of it is possibly less so, but um, no. but it brings out the humour yeah, and humor humor in the as humor. Well. yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I don't. I think um, think Nick um, was probably the very sheep that he came up with that one. <laughs> well, he, he... Oh, this is Roland S. Howard's song. Yeah. Oh, okay. So yeah. he he did it in the Young
4: Charlatans. If you ever hear the yeah, original, that's... originals okay. really uh, rough, and then uh, Nick brought his melodramatic <laughs> best yeah. vocal to it for the. Not right. So we're doing cover yeah. of a cover. Wow, well, there you go. Mm-hmm.
0: All right. A bit like um, the Atlantic song. Yeah. Final song, specific song, I'm going to ask, well, it's actually another mashup, is God's My Pal. cherry's guitar overdrive which i like the idea of the mashup you got the main motif in my pal being a descending motif yeah. and being god in god <laughs> guitar overdrive it's an ascending yeah, i haven't noticed <laughs> that myself um we'll take your word for it okay um,
4: and, and the person who should be talking to this is phil hall but as he's not here and we will talk to it in Raining Treasure Volume 1 in an interview, somebody asked me, well, have you got any ideas what you'd do if you're doing Raining Treasure Volume 2? And I said, oh, probably my pal, my God, you know, because I because aware of it and I thought that would be an interesting challenge. And we went into the studio uh, to do the rhythm beds. We, the process is, you know, of course, if I tell the audience this, it's just demystifying the whole process. <laughs> um, we go in and record the bass and drums first. You have to capture the bass and drums as an architect. It's, it's my image of it that that is the foundation of the building the song that we're building on top of these foundations so it has to be solid and the, the bass and drums have to work first before you can put your uh, frame and uh, cladding on top of that. So uh, we, we went in and recorded just the, the bass of the songs with, you know, the guitars added and then the next day you, you have a flat mix to listen to at home to see whether it's working and I listened to it back and I think, what the fuck was I thinking? There's nothing in that song. We, can, we what, what the hell are we going to do with it? Um, I've, I've got no ideas. I, I can't, you know, it's just got... One line again. And then Phil Hall said, you know, I emailed that to the guys. I said, yeah, I can't really see where we're going to go with this. Phil Hall said, wait a minute. No, no, oh, oh, no! I think I've got an idea. I'd like to bring in God by Lobby Lloyd or the Wild Cherries. And I think we can do this. And uh, uh, so we did... Uh, did we do the, the drums? Yeah, we did. We, the, did. we sort of, day? we
1: yeah put it all together and, and sort of it went into this long, elongated jam at the end of this song.
4: But there was, there was no real guitar part. I don't think we'd had the, uh, the Lobby Lloyd guitar, ascending guitar melody that no, you're talking about. No, no. As we were doing the the mixing of uh, uh, the, the recording of the rhythm uh, instruments—it's just like that's eight minutes of pretty much nothing, you know. It's like, okay. uh, and then Phil took it on to his home studio and he just worked on it. And he's not only a, a great bass player, and uh, we mentioned he's a sax player, but he can play keyboards, guitar, and he just started layering stuff over yeah. on top. So we had Murray Cook uh, who played the my pal descending line, mm-hmm. and I think he, I think he did play the uh, the wild cherry god. Yeah, he, he played a part on that, and sure. then Phil. Said Layering stuff, yeah. you know, putting stuff over the top of it, and, and more and more, and then it just turned to this epic. And um,
1: well, the, I think the hilarious part is that, that we recorded it with the bass and the drums, and then Phil takes it home and listens to the original again and goes, Oh, I don't think we played it right. Yeah. And he <laughs> redoes the bass line because he, he said, Elongated the bars and stuff. But all these drum fills are sort of predicated around this, this other form. Ah, oh, don't worry about it, I'll yeah. it. <laughs> yeah.
4: it'll work, don't worry. And the great thing about this band is that it, it pretty much always works we've, we've now recorded 30 songs for the Australian Treasures albums and every one every idea that we've gone into the recording studio with along with my bandmates we just make it work we've got the confidence in ourselves and trust in each other just to make something happen the, the only really controversial one was the song the decline of reptiles song
1: oh yeah um, time stands time still time stands still I, I, I'd heard it uh, the original I thought it was a great
4: yeah. song full of hooks but I didn't like the original and I was just trying to find a way into it and so when I present it to the band I usually, if I've got an arrangement already in mind, I record it on my iPhone and then just email it or text it to the band so they can actually hear tempo or the basic arrangement and then we embellish it and and kick it around and uh, Phil was like "Mm, yeah I'm not too keen on that one "Mm, okay I said well go and listen to the original because that you might hear you know what I'm hearing next day he got back and said well that was four minutes of my life wasted I'll never get back (laughs)
3: right,
4: Phil don't need to be negative about it and and I had to have a discussion with him saying you know you're a really really talented technical musician and you know I trust you and we've done a lot of stuff together now in the four years we've been working together, but I don't agree with you on this. I might not be a technical musician myself, but I've got ears, and I can hear a hook, and this song is full of hooks. Mm. All we've got to do is find how to bring it out and then I you know here's the other go-to thing you take a fast song take a sad song and make it slower Um, and we just did a slow version and that's what we did that with that song and it it worked out and I still maintain that if this was the 1970s and we were on a major label and we put that song out it would be as big as the motel's uh, total control right uh, because that's what it sort of started morphing towards just a great melody simple song if if we were in another universe it it should be a hit Mm. as as should most of those songs, even if they weren't, or, you know, were, some, some of them were hits, many of them are, are relative obscurities, but uh, they could
1: all well be hits. Yeah, it's interesting too, though, with Phil saying not liking the song at all. I'm, I, I actually, oh, there's probably quite a lot of material on those albums that I personally wouldn't think.
4: Oh, oh now it all comes out, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and the thing about <laughs> I like, bet you don't like Radio <laughs> Birdman either, yeah.
1: yeah. yeah no, well, that's the thing about, I, I actually think it's more interesting to cover stuff that you're not all that keen on in some ways, you know, because you're not so precious about how no, we're not precious about anything yeah where, where it's going to go and you, you can sort of oh let's do the sports
4: i love the sports oh let's do a reggae version of the sports sure
1: <laughs> but yeah it's like playing in the cover. one of the reasons i don't have never played in a cover band really is you're playing in a covers band now mate i don't want to do second-rate versions of songs that i love so actually to come with this like I, for me it's just all new raw material And I just come to it like I come to any original song that that we present. Once again, the song is just the raw material and the arrangement is... It's all in the arrangement, you know. And hats off to Phil. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it should be said there's quite a lot of work that he's put into a lot of the tracks. Tracks like The Drift, Face With No Name. I mean, we all sort of contribute to that. I've had a few ideas Mm -hmm. myself that sort of managed to sneak their way (laughs) into some of these songs.
4: Mm -hmm. But uh, Uh, Phil took a few of them, say three
1: or four,
0: and basically post-produced them mm -hmm. and turned them into more than they were. were there any songs that didn't meet the brief but you thought, oh shit, if only we were doing like an album of mainstream songs that everyone knows you know aside from you know just, uh, uh, the sports you know and, yeah. and the angels and yeah. metal as anything any songs that you would have liked to have done that didn't necessarily meet the brief what would you have picked what are favourite songs do you think yeah geez, I'd like to do this midnight all song or this cultures
1: or song but is there anything I don't know yeah, yeah. possibly I, I think maybe a divinal song for me oh, that's right yeah you were just talking about touching yourself so. <laughs> <laughs> I was talking about touching myself <laughs> um <laughs> Science good fiction, science fiction. During this uh, podcast, <laughs> yes, I, I like science fiction as a song. And, and it's always good to, like you were saying, you know, to do, or we were saying, maybe do an album of songs by women. Because right. it's always interesting to do a male take on a woman's song. Yeah, that's, that's another thing we have used to uh, put t- twist on. Lighthouse songs. Keepers was one. Reigning Treasure, uh, Reigning Pleasure, Reigning Pleasure. Yeah, Joe uh, yeah, 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 exactly. uh, uh, almost title song.
4: <laughs> interesting question. Uh, I can't say I've considered that um,
0: in the limited Run Paradox?
1: Pardon? Run to Paradox? <laughs> What's that? Depart. Oh, of course. No. Uh.
0: <laughs> <laughs> ladies and gentlemen John Kennedy and the 68 comeback special and their take on Bad Boy for Love
1: <laughs> we can do that we could do that yeah well gentlemen, we did Um, you know the Jets did, did uh, Shiver didn't they I Screaming Jets Screaming Jets I, I
4: don't it. know happily uh, I've, I've never heard it and people tell me that's a good thing uh, not to, yeah. have, to have missed the Screaming Jets version of Shivers <laughs> I don't know I've never heard it they heavied it up a bit I think yeah uh, so uh, yeah I was totally unaware that they had covered it so other bands no, it's... Silly. Doing the Angels was, you know, like, I wouldn't say causing controversy, but provoking a reaction, a, a, the reaction being, that's a lovely song. So that's that's a nice thing to do. Doing the Sports and Mental Is Anything, they were just two bands that I loved, uh, Murray Cook loves, Pete maybe also. Yeah, I like um, sports. I think so. But uh, just total love and it didn't fit Brief perfectly, but uh, we thought we can expand the Brief. We can mm. redefine the definition of independent. Uh, Mushroom was independent and well, who regular did
1: was independent. Yeah.
4: But sort of going bigger to Midnight Oil, like again, I'm I'm not
1: a huge Midnight Oil fan, and Hudders. Yeah, you know, under the spectrum, there's a band I can like. Yeah, now. yeah, that's, but too early. That's getting proggy. Yeah, I know. yeah.
4: Uh, <laughs> so,
3: uh,
4: yeah, the, the focus is, this will be on finishing an album of original. new originals, and it's the title. Working title is John Kennedy and the New Originals. Changing, <laughs> changing, changing the band, the name of the band to the New Originals, so we can get the band name on the
0: front cover right? Right, There's a for it. Indeed, you heard it here first, folks. Look, John, Peter, thank you so much for. Uh, giving up your time, allowing me into your lovely Airbnb apartment <laughs> here in sunny a winter's day and looking forward to seeing you gents working magic tonight at the uh, post office pleasure, okay.
4: and don't forget the chanting I'm ever going to see your face again
0: uh, no, actually folks, if you're there tonight well actually this will be out after the show If, but if you somehow happen to hear this please forget the chant <laughs> I don't want to hear that chant tonight <laughs> anyway, uh, no, thanks very much gents uh, pleasure, uh, pleasure, thank you
3: Baby, is that you? Been three weeks, I can't get through Phone is dead Baby, is that you? Baby, is that you? Baby, is that you? Salty lips to taste Skin to touch Nothing matters Very it's a rain in pleasure. I believe it's rain.
0: Once again, my huge thanks to John Kennedy and Peter Timmerman for their very generous time and speaking to me, not just about the albums, but about all sorts of things, political and social and growing up and all that sort of thing. It's really a fascinating conversation. I hope you enjoyed the music. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. And I'll be leaving details in the show notes as to how you can get copies of any of the John Kennedy albums that are still available, in particularly, though, the Raining Treasure covers albums. They're really, really quite wonderful and just as a bit of a buy note the gig that i went to later that night at the post office hotel in coburg here in melbourne was really really quite wonderful but that's not terribly surprising they're fantastic band Okay, so next month, what is happening for Love That Album episode 159? So next month, I'll be having a man who was actually scheduled to be on this month's episode, but we couldn't quite make the times work, so I've rescheduled him for next month. And his name is Stephen Juergensmeyer. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. He's the host of another Pantheon podcast called All Music Books, Deep Dive. But we're going to be discussing his work outside of the podcast as an album cover. Of a designer uh, that's really really quite fascinating I think and Stephen has been quite busy over the years and he's gone and put together some album covers for some albums that you may just know uh, here's a few examples Raising Sand by Robert Plant and Alison Krauss Copper Blue from Sugar the Bob Mould band of the 90s and Chucky Weiss his album Old Souls and Wolf Tickets uh, that's a favourite album of mine Chucky Weiss uh, as some of you may know was the great friend of Tom Waits in the early days and I'm presuming they're still mates nowadays but uh, that's when we tend to really sort of go and place him musically was in those early days of uh, Tom Waits in the early 70s in Los Angeles. So uh, I look forward to uh, speaking with Stephen about his philosophies of album design, what his favorite album covers were and what it actually takes to get a decent album cover put together and this is sort of going to be really quite a good month podcast wise because on my other show, See Here. Uh, I hope you can get a chance to listen to that next month or indeed go back into the archives and maybe listen to any other episodes of See Here. But next month, uh, we're going to be speaking to a man called Kevin Hossman and he's a director of a new documentary called The Album and its subject matter is album cover art. So looking forward to that. So yeah, a whole month's worth, well, two shows worth uh, from myself and my partner's discussing album cover art rather than music per se so that should be really wonderful and a lot of fun until next month please look after each other please be nice to each other I'll speak to you next month all the best cheers what
3: I'd like to know who listens to the radio? that's what I'd like to know who listens to the radio
2: Achieve the American dream. The big house. The happy family. The money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem?
3: What's the problem?
2: Would you lie? Would you cheat?
3: Would I shop? Would they shot?
2: Would you kill?
3: i yes. dead. <laughs> my mom and right
2: there. From airship.